I always turn the mic off when I'm singing. And uh, my wife tries to convince me I've got a nice voice, but I hear it myself, so. <laughs> you know what Maureen was saying? I'd got the short straw coming here. I think Callum actually got his dates mixed up and never realised he was heading off to Rwanda on Thursday when he, when he was uh, arranging the dates for this, but it's, I've actually heard about your church for a long time. Visiting a lot of the projects in Rwanda, and uh, like I said, I've been going out on trips really since 2007, sometimes once, twice a year, because I take a school group out as well. And to go somewhere in here, or Sandy Hills have funded this, or Sandy Hills have built this house, or Sandy Hills have done that. And I've, I've always wondered what Sandy Hills look like as a church, because the, the amount of work that you've done has been really significant, uh, and uh, really want to thank you for that. Uh, and it's good that a lot of you managed to get out and get Morgan out again, because you, you'll see the impact of your work out there. And, and Maureen also said that I was going to build this, some slides around the sermon. It's kind of the opposite way. I've got more slides than sermon, but, but uh, it fits, in, and hopefully I'll let you see the impact of, of things that are happening out there. Our, our scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, starting at uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3 and verse 14. This is the word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In that passage, Paul speaks quite a bit about love. He speaks about experiencing the love of God, the depth, the breadth, the height, the width. But when he speaks about love there, Paul's not speaking about something that's abstract. He's not speaking about an emotion or about feelings. He's dealing in tangible things. So when Paul's speaking about love, it's love that people experience. And how do people experience the love of God? Well, Paul says there, it's really, it's through our actions. It's through the things that we do. From the tiny little act of kindness, all the way up to a life that's fully given in service. The love of God is experienced by others through the things that we do. And Paul also speaks there about power. And he's being very, very specific. And beginning before this, back in chapter 1, what Paul's speaking about specifically is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So when Paul's speaking about power in our lives to help us practice and show that love to other people. 
the power that God makes available to us to do anything is exactly the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's almost like he's saying to them, this love just can't be measured, but neither can the power of God. How are you ever going to be able to do anything for God? How can you live your life as a Christian to deal with the challenges that we face each day when we turn to God and we ask God for help? What is it that God makes available to us to achieve whatever it might be for him? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's like Paul is saying, okay, so there's your limits. What are you trying to do for God? What love are you trying to show to other people through your actions? What are the things that you're beginning to struggle with? How on earth are you ever going to cope with all of this? Well, God's power, the resurrection power, is being made available to you to transform whatever you're doing, to enable you to achieve, to do things for Him. And in the slides I'm going to share, and I'll share some kind of general slides in the way of a kind of update and some of the things that are going on with Comfort just now and, and our partners, but also specific things that through the love that you have shared, where lives are being transformed and things are being changed, and that resurrection power of God is being released into people's lives through you. So, see if I've got this right, I have. There we go. Just about a kind of common aim that runs through all of the different projects that we have is to try and lift people out of poverty. And the idea is that you, you help them to get out of poverty so that they can live an independent, uh, sustainable life without having to rely on other people for financial aid or for support. And that they then, as it happens mainly in that with our partners, they then begin to help other people. So that's a kind of common aim. So, so a couple of examples of that. So this is Claudine with a before and after. And Claudine... Her father left her mother when she was just young. The whole family spiraled into hunger and poverty and illness and all kinds of things going wrong in their, in their family. And then in 2011, with the first picture that you see at the top there, as a young girl, Claudine joined one of the street kid rescue projects. And through the support that she was given in all of the projects, we make sure that there's a home for them, either back in their own home or with a, a host family. We get them into education and we provide the health care that they need so that physically and healthily they're, they're able to grow. Claudine now is at university and studying uh, tourism management and hospitality. So to go from that depth of poverty, she's now at uni, she's now got a future thanks to the help that she received. Another project that we have is Comfort Babies. And we have that in, in Rwanda, but also in the Congo now. I think it was in uh, 2015. I was in the summer out with a, a kind of mixed church group. And we were doing some home visits. And we visited this home. And there was a little girl in it who was 12. So she would be about the age of a first year that I would have had in secondary school. And she had just had a baby. The baby was a few weeks old. Her mum had also just had a baby a couple of weeks before that. And at the time we visited the home, the girl was on her own with the baby. The mum was out 
she came back and, and she had, I think if I remember rightly, it was three tomatoes that she'd managed to get that she was out trying to sell to get some money to have some food and things in the house. The, the girl was just a tiny wee slip of a thing. No way could she feed her baby herself. And she wasn't even able to care for it properly. The baby looked malnourished and distressed. And we asked to see it. She lifted it up by an arm. Right? So the, the whole thing really was really quite distressing for us. And, and then I was coming back in the October with a, a group from Brecon High School. And we were visiting. And when I went back in October, I was really expecting to get news. The baby died. I was unsure what would happen with the mum. But when we went back, we found them. And they were actually quite healthy. And what had happened was, after we had had that home visit, David, from Rwanda, had gone out, he'd managed to get powdered milk, he'd managed to get more food for the family. And from that, that baby, back in 2015, then the whole Comfort Babies project began to kind of grow. And we just found that there was more and more and more of them. And I think at the moment we're around, I think it's something like 82 mums that are part of this project and, and coming through it. 2019, I was back with another school group, and uh, we saw the, the same girl, so I can't remember her name. She was 16. Through the project, she'd been trained as a seamstress, so she was able to earn a living. Our wee girl was there, Benito. I remembered her name, Benito. She was there thriving, totally thriving, and would be at school now. So I'm hoping when I go back this October that I'm going to kind of find them again and just to see how well they're doing. But that's the kind of difference that the project makes. So there's the love of God in action. And through that power of the resurrection, able to transform lives. And the whole idea of educating the mums is really important to us as well. A lot of the mums, when we started the project, a lot of them were 12 when they, when they had babies. Sometimes through forced rape. Sometimes they were raped really through coercion. But, but with babies at 12 years old. And this is a mum, she's, she's no one in her name shared, and she just graduated uh, her, head her hairdressing training. So she's now able to go and get a job as a hairdresser, make a living, and be able to kind of care for her and her babies. And, and there was one we'd met out in um, 2019 who had started off selling phone cards, so we do micro loans to them. She started off selling phone cards, and by the time we were there, she was selling phones. Uh, we'd asked her, and she her handbag that she had with her, a whole array of phones were brought out. She was trying to sell phones to the group. And it was just the whole kind of idea of growth and business and just getting on and having a life is really important to them. But there's the difference that it can make. Love shared with them in a practical way, but that power of the resurrection coming through. The, the very newest project, I think, I think I got pinged something on Facebook today, being shared some information for this. If you're doing the same, you might have picked up. This is the Batwa in, in Burundi. So we worked, started off in Rwanda, spread to Burundi, then in the Congo, a little bit of training work in Uganda, but we've also got work going on up in South Sudan at the moment. And Callum's the only one. It's a, a red area with the British government. So Callum's been up there visiting, and it tends to be a very short visit in and out just because of the level of, of conflict and trouble that's there at the moment. But the Batwa are a pygmy people, and pygmy, you always think, you know, somebody of a very, very small stature, and some are, but generally they're not. Generally, it's about their kind of social status. So the pygmy people tend to be kind of like forest dwellers, the depth of the forest, 
living an extremely poor basic life. The Burundi government, government for some reason has moved them out and just thrown them into the middle of society and they're really struggling. There's about 200 families in this group uh, and we're trying to kind of get in there and support them. It's an area called Ngozi and we were doing pastors training there and we discovered that one of the pastors had a real heart for working with the Batwa uh, and is trying to do stuff with them. So the whole project has really kind of started from there. You can see the depth of poverty that the people live in, not just by the clothes of the children, but over on your, your, right, your left-hand side, you can see that that's a typical house that the Batwar are living in. And it's just banana leaves and stuff that they find, like bits of old material or stuff like that. But that would be a typical house for the Batwar. Uh, and uh, so a real, real poverty in, in working with these people. So the kind of things we're doing, saw it in the, the Facebook tweet this morning, is we're giving cattle, we're giving land for agriculture so they can grow food and sell stuff, but we're also giving cattle. And, and my wife used to be, uh, we used to run cattle projects with Comfort, and my wife in Rwanda was known as the cow lady. Everywhere we went, everybody <laughs> wanted to speak to her because they thought she could gift them a cow. But what we discovered with cows, that the best way of accelerating a family out of poverty is to give them a cow. They get milk, so health, you can sell the milk, get manure, so your crops grow better. And there's a whole kind of well-being and status thing about owning a cow. Uh, and so that we're doing this with the Batois at the moment, but that, that would be our, our kind of newest project. We're, we're also in, in Congo and DRC. Uh, and a uh, huge, massive country, but massive problems. We're mainly around the Goma area, which would be there northeast, just over the lake from, from uh, Rwanda. Massive problems there. And I'm only, obviously, this morning going to focus on a few, but this, this is a school. Now, somebody who's just retired as a head teacher from an extremely very, very well-resourced school, then looking at that's the school at the bottom, is that wee hut with nothing in it. My wife's a primary teacher. I'm secondary. I, I need resources. My wife, <laughs> primary teachers uh, can do all kinds of amazing things with nothing. But uh, I, I would struggle with something like that. But that's what they're being taught in. And, and this, this community with this school, what we're finding is there's a lot of runoff comes from the mine and it floods right through the school regularly. A lot of the locals work in the mines there and the, the death rate is extremely high. Uh, the whole idea of health and safety doesn't exist. But a lot of the children, because their families need money, needed an income so they can survive, a lot of the children get taken from school to go and work in the mines as well. And they're working in the mines, but a lot of them are carrying ore from the mine down to the river to wash it and then back again. But if they're doing that, then they're missing education. And, and the whole idea of education is really important. If you want to get out of poverty, you need an education. That, that's a route out of poverty for them. And they realize that, they want to do it, but they also need to eat. So, so there's things connected with that. The next picture here is showing you the current Cambizi School. And, and you see it's a volcanic area. You see the rocks on the floor. That, this is a well-resourced school. They have something resembling a blackboard. They have seats for the, the pupils to sit in. So this would be a resource school. Now, just in the last couple of weeks, we, we had contact through our partner with the Congolese government. The Congolese government are offering to build a new school here in Cambizi. 
and spend $200,000 on it, and they've asked us to put up $25,000 that they would then back to the 200 on this. So as trustees, we've been kind of working around, where do we get the 25 from? We've been working around that and, and doing our best to make sure they've got the guarantee of the 200 coming in and we can see this happen. But to see a new school being built there well, would be really phenomenal at Cambizi. We, we do a lot there, working with teachers, sponsoring teachers, and getting kids into the schools. And this is the current Rubaya school that we're funding and being built, it's brick built, concrete floor, so nice solid st structure and putting resources in. And you can see the workmen there doing the traditional universal workman pose of leaning on his shovel his lovely white shiny boots but but this is another investment here in education because that will help them to get away from poverty the, there's a lot of conflict in that area at the moment it's all kind of flared up again in the last number of weeks there are a number of militia groups circulating around the area coming back fighting with the Congolese government coming into Goma fighting in the villages and stuff round about again and, and the conflict has really flared it tends to be extremely brutal and violent conflict that happens there. And, and the church that we fund uh, at uh, Risayu is really at the center of dealing with all of the consequences of this conflict. And what they're finding at the moment is that they've had to put mattresses on the floor. The UN reckon there's about a million people have been displaced because of the current conflict in that one bit of area. Uh, and uh, they've got mattresses on the floor and they've got up to three patients in a bed working together uh, and uh, trying to kind of get through it. But uh, as well as all the kind of obvious bad news that's coming out of the area at the moment, there's also some good news. So this is the first triplets that were born in that hospital just recently. And uh, it was a cesarean operation. If the hospital hadn't been there, if the hospital hadn't been funded, then the baby and the mum would have died. There would have been none of them at all, but it's able to kind of help and get them through and uh, help them to survive. So lots of good stories going on there and lots of people finding themselves um, supported and helped. One of the, the particular things with the conflict uh, in uh, Congo is this idea of child soldiers. And the Children of Liberty Project, we started a few years ago. It was about taking some of these young people. They had been abducted from their homes, usually with their parents being killed at the time, indoctrinated, trained to kill, and then going out and then killing themselves. So a lot of these young people coming in, and we started the Children of Liberty Project to try and really transform them. So you're seeing here really the love of God reaching out to people, but this is the power of the resurrection. This is God's power working in people's lives that can actually transform them. And this is Roger. So Roger, when he was around 14, his village was attacked by militia. His parents were, were killed. He was abducted, indoctrinated, trained to kill. But eventually, Roger managed to escape from the militia. But when he went back to his village, everybody was so frightened of him that nobody would accept him and they wouldn't allow him back in. And here was somebody, for them, that was out of control, somebody who was really unstable, somebody who was a killer who was coming back into their community and they wouldn't have him. So the pastor took him, took him to the Children of Liberty Project in Goma and then Roger's life has been transformed through the power of God.
And our next slide is a wee wedding picture. The groom is an ex-child soldier. So again, you've seen the kind of depth of the transformation that's happening in people's lives. But the real reason for showing you this is that the person that provided all the decorations, the person who's doing all the wedding photographs for them is innocent, who himself was a child soldier, but through the transformation and the power of God working in his life, he's now running a photography business and, and has a really good, stable life. So you see the difference that the love reaching out to these people, backed by that power of God, can really make for them. And over the last year, we've been buying more land for the Village of Hope, where the Children of Liberty are. We've got more of them coming in, buying more land, building more accommodation, and the project itself is going. And obviously, as you're seeing, they're passing through, and, and their lives are being changed and transformed. The conflict is extremely brutal out there. And women tend to be the victims. A lot of the time, rape is one of the weapons that they use. And, and it's a lot of the women suffer multiple brutal rapes. And recently, just at the hospital, that in one month, we've had over 40 women arriving uh, and needing support because of, of brutal rapes, including surgery, and needing the help, really, to help them to recover from, from their, their uh, injuries that they've sustained there. As a church, a lot of your work is in Bissacero. Uh, and um, I think it was about 2009 I first visited Bissacero in the west of Rwanda. And, and I really took to it. The people have got a kind of different attitude. It was the only place where people really fought back against the genocide in 1994. But there's a different attitude about the people there. And I find them to be really quite proactive. They come up with a lot of suggestions and we could be doing this project, we could be doing that project, it could be better because, or even just the whole way that they build their communities. That there's healed communities there in, in Bissacero, and what the survivors of the genocide did was, they said, look, unless you involve everybody in this, perpetrators included, and you help everybody, we're just gonna go back to that again. So they actually opened up, and in some of the communities in Bissacero, the person who's been elected as the leader has been the person who is the, the worst perpetrator and has killed their families in the genocide. But the power of God in transforming people, the power of God in bringing that level of change uh, is really, uh, it's genuinely mind-blowing to see, to see the way that someone's life can change. And you think of the things sometimes that we struggle with, but there's what God's capable of. God's capable of transforming someone's life to that extent. The, the picture here is, is Barara Nursery. Um, I first saw that in 2019, uh, and uh, out of the school group, and we went to the nursery. Uh, I think it was fairly recently built. The, a donor built them amazing. You can see it's brick-built buildings. It's cracking facilities they have there. And when we visited, there were, I think it was 73 children that were in the nursery and one teacher. Everybody looks like a little girl to me now, right? I'm just getting old. But she was a wee girl, and she was in charge of 73 nursery children and running the place really pretty well. So the whole idea was started from the parents themselves. The parents realized that they were losing all their young people. Historically, there had been a real issue with education in the area. Hunger was a major issue. 
So the, the parents got together and they thought, not just secondary education, but let's start as early as we can. If we can educate our children as early as we can, it's going to be built into them. They will help to kind of change the whole community, the whole area, because of their education. So the nursery education is there, and part of that is the feeding project, which I know you're involved in as a church. And when we were there, it was, uh, you see there with the cups, it's kind of like a sorghum porridge they get. It was okay. It was all right. It tasted okay. I've, I've had worse. Uh, and, uh, but they have the sorghum porridge, but then also some fruit and things as well. And we were hoping to kind of expand that so that we could provide another meal for them. But all of these children were fed. Into the secondary school, it's a wee bit different. And there's a, a 734 young people attending Bissacero Secondary, but not all of them can afford to pay £23 a month for, for your month's meals for, for the, the child, for the young person. And the church, sorry, the school reckons that 40% of the young people in their school can afford to pay that £23. Another 25% can afford to pay some of that, but you're then left with over a third, 35% of the young people who are outside the window looking in when others are getting their school meal. So the support that you give as a church is really making a significant difference to these young people. Education is really important. If they're hungry, they're not going to be thinking about their learning. So by getting that meal, it helps them really to improve in their learning. Uh, we work a lot with all our partners to try and kind of help them to kind of evaluate the project so you can see the real difference that God is making through the projects. And uh, I shared this report with Maureen um, when I shared the presentation, and it's the first kind of really, really good report we've ever had back from partners, and, and it's worth a read. Um, it's yours to read. It's been shared with your church, and you can kind of see the difference. So a couple of wee slides just to kind of show you. So this is a difference in malnutrition. So this is just September to March, and obviously you look at the pie chart there, the more green, green's good in this, the more green it just shows you the impact. That's only in a few months. So think long term, the impact that's going to have. And in the report, you can also see teachers are also reporting an improvement in behaviour because they're more focused and in there. But you can see here things like attendance, um, attainment, and just a kind of general well-being. Uh, if they're not hungry, they'll be feeling better about themselves. It's just all kind of common sense. But you see the difference that your support is making there. You'll be aware recently that there's been a lot of kind of severe, very, very severe floods in, in the western part of uh, Rwanda. Uh, and you can see the impact here in somebody's house. Whole kind of mountainsides are really are sliding down and taking out areas. Person's house has been destroyed with a landslide. Whole communities have been submerged underwater. There's been so much water. Uh, and their crops are grown on really kind of quite steep hillsides. So as the hillside slides, it's taking the uprooting the crops, taking the crops with them, and just destroying everything that we have. And, and we know, kind of anticipating real kind of more serious issues with hunger because of the destruction of the, the crops in the coming months. So, so kind of issues 
just where you think everything's kind of going well, that there are issues that always seem to kind of crop up again. One of the communities that, that you work with is Karangera. Karangera were actually um, less affected by the floods uh, in, in the recent months, and you're seeing pictures there of the pineapple fields uh, and uh, the pineapple crop. It used to be it would take us, we go up there and we work in the fields with them. You'll be working in the fields with them when you get your trip there. Uh, and it's, it's entertaining for them, I think, to be honest. They've been working since about six in the morning, and then we roll up and try to work on a, at altitude, on a mountainside, in the heat. You, you, you struggle, right? But I, you hear them laughing, so I think they kind of... <laughs> it's entertaining if nothing else. But it used to be it would take us maybe an hour and a half to two hours to get to the fields. They've tarred the road, so you're there in no time. And you would maybe be left with maybe about 20, 30 minutes in the field. You would do your bit. You've now maybe got a couple of hours in the field with them. And then a kind of time after, the real benefit of going up there is they go and they'll harvest some of the pineapples and you're eating them fresh out the field, totally delicious stuff. And here they are, some of them here, really proud of their pineapple harvest. And I know you, you've really been quite significant in the support that you've given to this and the community are, are really appreciative of this as well. Uh, and um, they, they're kind of really, the land at the moment, some of the land at the moment they're renting, but thanks to your support as a church, they're going to be able to buy that land when the rental agreement ends. So it'll actually kind of open up more opportunities for them. But they, they kind of thank you for helping them to bring their communities t together. Also for kind of obviously providing them to buy the land, buy pineapples, and a lot of the young people there, um, traditionally you would buy a cow and invest in a cow. But the young people kind of, quite kind of sharp really. And they thought, why would you spend all that money on a cow that takes ages to be able to kind of get a lot back from it? So they invest in pigs. And a lot of the young people are growing up pigs. They've got maybe one, two pigs or whatever kept near their home because they'll eat anything, right? You grow the pig, it'll grow quite quickly, and you're at market with the pig before you're still waiting on the cow being pregnant and having milk. And so a lot of the young people are kind of, and they want to thank you for the investment in small animals, but a lot of them are, are kind of in working with the pigs and, and uh, really, really quite astute. And uh, that's what I said, it's a, it's a kind of different mindset you get over in that area. And they wanted to kind of thank you for that in the land, but... Here's the thing that I really know Sandy Hills for. The amount of houses that have been in where Sandy Hills, Bishop Briggs Community, you have funded these. These are quality homes. Uh, for the folk who have been out, I'm sure you've seen them. They're quality homes, concrete foundation, brick built, really solid. They will last a lifetime. A red brick house would maybe last eight years, maybe, before you're having to kind of renew most of it. This is somebody's home for life and with a family. I need to say that the semis blew their minds at first. There used to be just one family in a house. To have a neighbour in the same block as you, it totally blew their minds, but they've got used to it. But a lot of them when we were out there were calling these the Scottish houses. Because I think a lot of the funding for the semis came from Scotland. And you see a family here. The, the Rwandans smile loads, but not in a photograph. So they, they suddenly, you lift a camera and they suddenly become really serious.
So the family are genuinely happy about their home, and you see the neighbor coming up from next door to join in the photograph as well. But real quality homes that where you're helping a family come away from poverty. And I think in Gishita villages, around 20 homes, I, I think that between yourselves and Bishop Briggs that you've funded and managed to build, and it's, it's made a massive difference. You see the picture of the fellow's house at the landslide, and the difference just a bit of rain can make to a home like that. And you see this here, they're, they're solid, they're in their house and they're safe, and, and it's cracking. You also support street kids in Congo. We, we've got a lot of street kids groups, and, and it's, it's really, you know, you go to visit the street kids, it's really quite an emotional thing, because you're finding kids, the youngest kid we found on the street was four. So that's somebody, and he had been on the streets for a while. So at four-year-old, a lot of them, you know, their parents die, or the family breaks up, like the Claudine earlier, the father leaving, or some of them, they're just getting so little food at home because they're so poor that they find it easier to go on the streets. And they tend to kind of hang around in groups. They, they take alcohol, they take drugs, they sniff petrol. The main reason they do that is so they can fall into a stupor at night. Uh, if you're unconscious, you don't feel the mosquitoes bite, and you sleep through the night. And we have found groups sleeping in holes in the ground, different bits. Uh, and they work here in the Congo. Everywhere we're going, we're finding these little kids uh, and on the streets. And you see the difference, though, with Claudine. There's the difference it can make. So, oh. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not pointing at the projector. Silly me. Uh, and uh, this is a kind of meeting, and you see we kind of get them all uniformed up. The idea of uniform is really good for them because it, it's about a sense of belonging. So they've gone from being a nobody to being somebody. And if they're part of the project, they're like that. But the mum here uh, is one of the mums who stood up. And Callum, sorry, this is on my phone. Callum just sent me this from Rwanda. And I know it's part of his initial thing, but I think it's worth hearing what the mum says about the, the work with the street kids. She says, I'm really pleased to see our visitors to Comfort Congo. They came here for our children. Let the Lord's name be praised. I am really happy in my heart for the street kids. They got lost. They were in the streets. But because of Comfort Congo, they took them from the street. These children really suffered. We were really weeping to see such children, such small children, drinking and lost. It was really sad. Through Comfort, we looked for them, and here they are. God bless you so much. They were drinking, smoking, robbing, and fighting, and doing bad things. But today, because God is powerful, we were praying for those children, and God heard our weeping. Some of them are with their parents, others in host families. They are keeping them in their homes, some of their parents here. There are so many children living in the streets. Please do not stop helping them. So there's a testimony of one of the mums that's been supported through the group. And another example here, Buzima, and, and he, I'll, I'll not read the whole thing out to you, but militia attacked his village, killed his parents, left him on his own. He then found his way somehow to Goma, was living on the streets, begging, sleeping there, managed to get into the street kids' rescue, joined that. Now, one of the families in the church 
as a host family and had kind of adopted him in and taken him into their family. He's in school, he's got health care, and he's really thriving. And at the bottom, he's second best in his class, 76%. So, so you see the difference that it can really make. And then your own sponsor, kid, Ruben here, very, very similar story to Bezima. Militia attacking, attacking his village, killing his parents, and somehow he, ended, he found himself on the streets of Goma. And now he's in the project, looked after by a family, and I really liked the bit at the very end of his report to you, where he says, you gave me the smile and hope for a better future day. There's the love of God, the breadth and depth and height and width of God being made real through the power of the resurrection. That's the power that God makes available to us to achieve things for him and to serve him. Exactly the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power and the love that God makes available. So thank you very much, Sandy Hills as a church. Appreciate coming here. But look what your love has done through the power of God and the transformation that you can bring. Amen. I'm not used to that. Let, let's pray. Let's speak with God. Father, we, we do thank you that you have a genuine heart for the poor and the disadvantaged. And Father, I, I thank you for Sandy Hills Church that the same heart exists here. That through sharing your love in practical ways, the power of the resurrection has been made real in these people's lives. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that although sometimes the things we do may seem small, we thank you that the impact that you can bring through your love, through the power of the resurrection, can be significant. Father, for life's changed and transformed, we give you thanks. Amen.